Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21 to 23. Well known verses, Lamentations chapter 3, 21 to 23. Amen. Lamentations 3 and 21 says, This I recall to my mind, and therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, I want to speak about a faithful God tonight that is able to save and he's able to keep a God that completely changed your life as he has changed mine and many others in this room. The Lord Jesus Christ truly comes to set prisoners free, break the chains of sin in their life and give them his plan and purpose. And I thank God tonight. It's only by the grace of God that I'm able to stand here tonight, not in any strength or any work that I have done, but solely on his grace, his amazing grace that we have sung about tonight. Do you know what, as I think I know most people, but for those who don't know me, I'm Tim, and I'm married to Nikki. We're Tim and Nikki, as Elaine said last week, and uh, we have four, four great lads, Jack, Luke, Caleb, and Isaac. But I was born uh, in 1973, on the 8th of June, into a great Christian family, a great mom, a great dad, great family. I'm the youngest of four. <laughs> no, I'm somewhere in the middle actually. Joy's here tonight, I think, but um, I look the youngest of four, I should have said. That's what I meant to say. Um, but I'm in the middle. Trisha's the eldest. Uh, she's the blue eye. Joy's the baby. Sheba's the second blue eye. And Samuel and I in the middle. We had the middle child syndrome. We've still got it. We're still trying to work through it, but the Lord has been so good to us. Um, but we were blessed, um, tremendously blessed tremendously blessed to be born in to a loving and a Christian home and uh, we had a great home great home life um, we had great fun uh, we just enjoyed growing up together my dad and my mum would give us a great home and a loving home they loved as we knew that we were loved from an early age and they cared for us they were Christians and they brought us to church they taught us the way of the Lord from an early stage um, actually, I was just surrounded by Christians. Um, I didn't know anything else but believers. My uh, mum's mother and father, my granddad and granny Spence, they were both believers. My dad's mum and dad, my granddad McElrath and granny McElrath were all saved. They were all Christians. Every one of them were Christians. My aunts were Christians. Uh, my uncles were Christians. Our cousins, we were all brought up in church life. That was the life that we lived. We didn't really know anything else. We had the great privilege of being brought up in a Christian home. It is a privilege to be brought up in a Christian home, to be taught the scriptures, to be taught the way of the Lord, and to be taught um, the things of God, and to be brought along to church, and to be sent to Sunday school, and to be brought to children's meetings. Sadly, today, uh, parents not have the same enthusiasm about getting their kids to the, the Lighthouse Club and the Sunday schools, but we we were brought, we were sent, we were encouraged along 
at the Sunday school from a very early age I'd have known the gospel I knew that Jesus Christ is the son of God I knew that he came into the world to save sinners I knew that I was a sinner very very early on I, I learned very quickly that I knew I was a sinner and I needed to be saved I think I got saved at least 103 times in the first five years of my life I was always wanting to get saved and get right with God and recognize my need of a savior you know in those early years I can remember clearly being brought over uh, to my granda and granny Spence's house and I always remember uh, particularly my granda Spence just such a godly man just there was wasn't so much that what he said but I knew he lived a life he was a brethren man he walked with the Lord and I always have an impression I was young when he went home to glory but I always remember in that home it was a home where people loved the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Granny Spence, she would bring the bin men in. I don't know. I don't think you call them that anymore. But the bin men used to come in, and she'd put a spread on for them. They'd stop there, and there was always a servant heart in that house, and and it was just a great home. And then we'd watch. I, I don't know where. Only a few people right remember this, but uh, there was used to be a program called the Sullivans. It was on a lunchtime. It was an Australian sort of war thing, black and white type of idea, and we'd watch that. And then gathering in the living room there were Granny Spence and Granda Spence, and maybe I was no height. A lot of her back then. It was great, really, out to hear McElrath, her. And, uh, and then uh, we'd stand in that wee living room, and Johnny Miller would come over. I remember all the old names, and he'd come over. And then Greta would come in, and Amy next door would come in, and my granny was there, and my auntie Ray was there, and my auntie Ethne was there, and my mum was there. And then they'd get me up on a wee soapbox, and then they'd, then I'd just start preaching. I'd tell them all they need to repent, they're going to hell, they're lost. And, and that was sort of the, the life, and getting a wee bit older, then my dad would drop me down to uh, my granny and granda McElrath, and, um, and my granny McElrath, she was, she was just basically crippled with Parkinson's. She wasn't really great in health. But, you know, she always used to, we'd go down there on a Saturday for a fiver. I'd wash his car. My granny McElrath had a great relationship with him. I'd wash his car. He'd make me stew. I'd go in and sit with my granny. And before I left, nearly every week, you can remember clearly, her wee hand always used to shake. But she'd take my hand and she'd say, Son, son Timothy, listen, I'm praying for you. God's got a plan for your life. And her wee face would always light up with this great big smile. And she'd always plant that thought that God had a plan and and there was people that was praying for you. And, you know, at that time, you don't take much of those things in. But that was basically the, the life that I was living. It was surrounded by believers, people that loved me, a family that loved me, a mother and father that cared for us and really were concerned for us. And as a character, as a person, you know, my dad, he's here tonight. My mom's here. So, um, but I have to tell the truth, but... Uh, <laughs> They'll soon correct me afterward. But my dad kept everything from our childhood. Only recently he started to uh, open the roof space and bring it down. I've got teeth, of curls, of everything. Trisha's curls, our curls, teeth, and everything else. So if, you're, if, you're, if you're missing a tooth tonight, we can help you out for a fair price. <laughs> but we, we gone, my dad just kept everything. But to give you a little insight, I only ever kept a dairy for three months in 1985. <laughs> And it was only once a week, and it was always about church, and it was normally, so if you're here tonight, you're about 11 or 12, I know what you're thinking, because I used to keep a diary, and, and when I would write on it, Sunday, went to church, bored, 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 bored. <laughs> so I know what you're thinking when you're sitting here tonight. That was an insight into my 11-year-old mind. 
But in P1, uh, he kept our reports, all our reports are here. But this probably sums up the type of character that I was, if you really wanted to know. Some people just say, look at Caleb, but I'm not too sure if you want to know what I was. But it just simply said, as P1, Mrs. Urban, Principal Mr. Stevens, in June 1978, and he said, uh, Mrs. Urban said, is progressing slowly, <laughs> makes unnecessary mistakes by not giving full attention to the task at hand. Timothy finds it very difficult to settle to his work. He is easily, very easily distracted. <laughs> I think a few of you had a report like that as well. But that's really what it was like for me growing up in, uh, in home. And then we were sent with the great privilege of being sent uh, to children's clubs. I remember uh, Trevor and Rosemary Hobb it was a Tuesday night club in the Milltown Baptist Church. They took that every week. Remember, my Sunday school teacher in Milltown Baptist, a man by the name of Jim Black. Jim would not only just teach you a lesson, but he'd take time. He'd be interested in you. Even at a young age, he'd stop. He would talk to you. He would show that he really was concerned about your soul. And every Tuesday night going to the wee club, Uncle Trevor and Auntie Rosemary, and you brought your 10p every week. No one was great about that little club. They kept your collection, and at the end of the year, they'd put it all into one wee money bag, and they'd take you to Newcastle and give you all your money back again that you can spend it. And it was great, and we heard about those old songs, and thank God that we still sing them. No, you can't get to heaven without S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. And that's the choruses that we were birthed in, that we were brought up in, I went along to the boys' brigade. Amen, Trevor? Amen, yes. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of one tonight when I mentioned the BB. But I was brought, and there's men again that I just thank God um, for these men that made an input in your life. Men like Billy Bryson and Dennis McGowan, Frank Lee, and a man in particular, a man called Davy Cochran, who was a BB leader and just took time. Walk with the Lord, spent time to share with you about Jesus Christ, loved the boys, had a had a genuine concern for lads and 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 really concerned for them. And in Beaver Primary School, although we were Pentecostals, there was the assembly, but at that time there was no Pentecostal working beaver or minister that would go into the school. So they put the Pentecostals in with the Baptists. I don't think the Baptists like that, but they put us uh, in with the Baptist anyway, and there was a man there that used to uh, take time with us. His name was Pastor Freddie McLaughlin, and he would teach us the scriptures, and he would talk to us about the Lord, and all these men were having an influence in this young life. Life in Beaver, I just have to be honest, was absolutely brilliant. We had a great life, Beaver Park Estate. was a great estate to grow up in all around us. We had close friends and families, Pat and Fred and Violet Ronsiman and Jim Ronsiman. We all grew up together. Um, all we did was play football, build huts in the forest. Bonfire time, we'd build bonfires. We'd play kick the tin. Anybody remember kick the tin? Don't do it anymore. Two-man hunt, British bulldogs, all those old uh, great games that kids don't do much anymore. But that's the sort of thing that I was uh, involved in and growing up. And it was a great life. It was a good life. It was a loving home. Um, my mom and dad were called to start uh, work in Beaver Park called Beaver Christian Fellowship. It's now in Forestside Church. 
And God called them to plant that work there in, in Beaver Park Estate. And that started in the old hut. Stephen would have remembered the old hut. That was a, a drinking den, basically the beaver bop. And it's just so bad. But that's what the name of it was on a Saturday night. And then uh, the, the, the hall was open for church and on uh, Sunday mornings. And at a young age then we were just helping. It was like a church on the go. We were like, you had to set it up and take it down and clean it out every week. And that's really what we were, we were used to. I suppose when I just started to get into my teens in those early years, I didn't think it was great for your street cred when you're driving down Beaver Drive, the cars filled with accordions, trumpets, trombones, tambourines, and you meet, you know, a girl out of primary school and you sort of wave and everything's rattling and jingling. It was sort of, at that point, you started to realize, I'm not a kid anymore, this isn't great. And something began to happen as I moved into those teen years, I began to develop an appetite for sin. An appetite for sin. A desire for sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. You know, at that early age, in those teen years, there was an appetite developing for sin. The devil sought to sow a lie into my mind, and I believe that the devil would seek to sow lies into many minds, even in this room tonight, that there's something out there that you're missing out on. And I believed the lie. I believed that there was something that I needed to taste, or something that I was missing out on, that I needed to go and I needed to search out what this was. But the Bible says, that's the desire. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, sin always brings forth death. At the beginning, the pleasure of sin lasts a season. The appetite for it, the enjoyment of sin was there. But at the end, it brings forth death. I went to Lagan College. And really, I didn't get much of an education in the way that you should do, not because of them. <laughs> that was more to do with me. I just thought it was a holiday going to Lagan College. But I got an education in the world, developed an education in the world, understood what sin was, understood the pleasures of sin. And this thought was that there's something out there that I need to experience. But you know, all the time you would nearly believe that well, you should believe that God was, was always planting people in my path or in my way. My dad got me a job. He worked for Shell. He got me a part-time job in a filling station, Balmoral filling station beside the King's Hall, the Shell garage that used to be there. And I worked behind there. And I used to go in on a Tuesday night, sit down. I'd get a tin of Coke, packet of cheese and onion, can remember? Packet of cheese and onion crisps and a big Mars bar. And I was there for the... But Back in those days, there was a pump attendant. Anybody remember pump attendants? There'd be a man out there to try and fill your car for you. But there was one particular man that was there. His name was Sam Campbell. Sam Campbell was a, was a Baptist man. He's a lovely Christian man. And he'd be out in the forecourt. I'd be sitting. And then I'd see him coming. I knew I was in for it. And I'd sort of put the hatch down. And I'd sit back. And the next minute, Sam would come in. And he'd put his big arm over the table. And he'd say, son, what about you and the Lord? And he nearly done that every shift. 
I couldn't finish my Coke. I couldn't finish my crisps. I was just like, will I ever get away from this? I want to go and enjoy this world. And so that lie was there, planted deep within my heart, that there's something that I'm missing. Let me tell you, friend, tonight it's a lie. It is a lie. So I left school at uh, 16, and anybody remember the youth training scheme, YTS? The High Life, £28.50 a week. And I uh, started a wee job in Brown Brothers on the Boucher Road, sweeping floors. And at the end of the week, I thought I was the richest man on the planet when I went into that office and she gave me two £10 notes, a £5 note, three pound coins and a 50p. I thought I'd arrived. <laughs> so you start to earn money and brushing floors. Within a few months, I was made a stockkeeper. Then about nine or months or a year after that, a job opened up to become, at that age, around 17, a department manager. And that was basically organising one department within Browns. Used to be in the Armour Road, then they moved to uh, the Boucher Road there. And uh, there's four different departments. There was paints, there was car parts, uh, there was garage equipment, and then there was the wee department that I run. That was magic trees, tea cut. I'd arrived. It was big time. And uh, I loved it, you know, getting all that ready. When you go into the garage, that whole section there was what we supplied but in that wee job, I had a desire for the things of the world. What would happen is it was a national company. And so at the end of every month, there was prizes. And uh, your salesman would work with you to try and get the products out. And then if you hit your target, um, then you could possibly win prizes. But they were really good prizes. So at the tender age of 17, 18, our department was doing very well. And we began to win these all-expenses-paid pri prizes to Mallorca. Morocco, London, Glasgow was a great one. Glasgow one was, they brought you over, they put you in a tank, this is true, and then they put in 1,000 Scottish pound notes and you had to take as much as you possibly could. I'm 17 and I was going to these places and winning this money and going to these five-star hotels and suddenly the appetite for sin was so real. The devil knew he knew what this desire was, and so he began to feed into that desire for the things of the world. And so I began to develop that appetite. At the same time, back at that point, most people know that we were in a, a very difficult situation. The troubles were still on, and uh, I began to get involved in certain things and uh, joined the Orange Order. Stephen mentioned that they're over at Clifton Street 778, and began to develop a, a, a hatred and a bitterness, really. And that's really what started to penetrate into the depths of my heart. You know, I, I became, I suppose, someone would say like a super loyalist in some way, whatever that is. But I tell you what it looks like. I, I slept every night under a Union Jack at a 300-year anniversary flag of the Battle of the Boyne, 1690 to 1990, on this side, and at a red hand of Ulster behind me. And I thought I was in loyalist heaven. But what was developing was a hatred and a bitterness and an anger. Have you ever woke around uh, Beaver, around uh, the 11th time, and your curbs are red, red, white, and blue? Look no further. Or if your garden fence went missing, it was acquired for the bonfire. 
Many times I was at the top of it when my mum and dad were coming out of church. And I was standing at the top of a bonfire most of the times at this stage. I was drunk. Because with the culture, and with the team, with the way it was, alcohol became a big part of that life. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse 1, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I believe the Bible. And so the company that I began to run with developed into all I would want to say is more sinister elements, but the desire for sin was increasing. I was sliding fast, very quickly, into a world that was so far from the one standing in my grandmother's living room, or sitting beside my granny McElrath, or going to church with my parents on a Sunday, suddenly I was in a completely different world. And I began to slide deeper and deeper and quicker into that world. And trouble came in many forms, with police, and paramilitaries, and so on. But I'm just so thankful by the grace of God I'm here tonight. I can remember one occasion standing with about six or seven men at one of the demonstrations. But I tell you, friends, tonight three of those men have already gone to a lost eternity. It's only the grace of God that I believe I'm here tonight. I became on the inward an emotional wreck. I was fearful. On the outward, I could never let that be seen. I can remember at times that Trish would have stood in our, my bedroom as we was heading out and saying, you need to get right with God. But I could never allow that facade to drop. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. And I'm so thankful for praying parents. Sin was abounding, trouble was everywhere. My life just became very quickly, not to go through a lot of detail, but very quickly, my life just became a complete mess. On the outward, I sought to pretend that everything was well. On the inward, you see, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance. But I want you to hear this tonight. However you look on the outward, but God sees your heart tonight. God knows your life. God knows where you are. God knows what you're going through. My life was spinning out of control. I was living the life that probably I could not have imagined I would sink into. But sin takes you further than you want to go. Often, I was the last home. A lot of times I didn't make it home. But what you would have found on a regular occurrence if you had went down the Shasby Square two or three o'clock in the morning, I'd have found, I'd have sought to find a believer giving out tracts. And I would have stood with him as he began to share with me the gospel which I knew. But what it was earlier on in the night, the whole facade, the sham, the show, I would have wept, I would have cried, 
I would have said to him, is there a way back? And those wee men that stood giving out tracks on two or three o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning would have convinced me and talked to me about Jesus. That there was a way out of this hell that you're in, of the sin, of the fear, of the wreck that you are. There's an answer. And they would have pleaded with me. God would have worked in amazing ways. Sometimes even, I can remember standing one night in the Windsor Bar in Bangor, and there was a man came to me in the middle of the Windsor Bar. He was worse for word, but he grabbed me by the collars and he said, you don't belong here. You need to get right with God. And I'm standing wondering what's going on. The summer of 1993 was probably a very intense time. There was a lot of trouble. I don't want to go into it. The wheels certainly were coming off, literally. I was involved in a couple of car accidents. One was a minor one, but then when I left that car in, my dad kindly got me another car from a friend of his, Jemison's garage and carried off. I managed to ride that one off, which didn't go down very well. But God was beginning to disturb the nest, literally. My health started to go. One morning, my mum came in. I was bleeding badly, and they took me to the hospital. I spent... A bit of time there with three older men, alcoholics. And I sat in that room in the middle of the night because the man that was next to me, he decided to have a cigarette and set all the alarms off. And I looked around. I said, what am I doing? The doctor said the next morning, he said, son, you'll not see 25 if you don't stop this life. But you see, sin becomes your master. And as soon as I walked out of that hospital, I was back down in the Barclay within a few hours. August came at a holiday book. It somehow fell through. And then one day my mom comes and says, Son, listen. Now this was never allowed to happen, but she said, listen. And mums have a way to get to you, <laughs> as you know. Listen, there's, there's, a, there's a group of people over from London. And they're down in the wee hall. They're having a meeting. Would you call? They just want to say hello. Mums are great, aren't they? <laughs> they know how to do it, I tell you. Well... You see, I developed, I just want to be very honest, because I see a lot of this stuff today. See all the, the, the Trump stuff and on the Capitol Hill and all the Black Lives Matter stuff and all. And I see it all happening in our streets again, all the rats and all. See, that's a spirit. And that's what I was possessed with, filled with hatred, anger. I hated everyone. I hated, I just hated everyone. I hated myself, but I hated everyone. If you weren't like me, I just hated you. And there's only one of me, so I just didn't like anyone. But you said there's a group of believers. They're a choir, they're Jamaican choir, Pentecostal choir. They're over singing in the hall. Would you just call in? Like, just show your face for two minutes. My mom should have been a saleswoman. 
Just, just say hello. So I didn't give any commitment to it, but I was sitting down in the Barclay, and then I just decided I'm leaving. I walked out the door. I was definitely worse for wear, and I came up that road, and the wee hall light was on, and I walked in. I can remember walking in the back door. My mum was there, and she's oh, son, great to see you. I want you to introduce you to a guy called Dadzy. Dadzy is a character. He really is a character, but he came walking over, and he was like full on arms around you, hugging you. I was like, this is not a bit. This is all a bit strange. And uh, he says, oh, your mum was saying your holiday fell through. I'll tell you what you can do. Why don't you come over to London? I'll give you my apartment for two weeks. I was like, this is great. I said, that sounds good. I'll book the flight. Next minute, I'm committed to going to London. Somehow, I had to stay in a flat in Ealing for two weeks. And it was just great because I thought in my mind, I can go there. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm in trouble and everything else. But I can get over there and I can just have a party. So Dadsy picked me up. Within a few days, I was away. Picked me up, brought me around his apartment. He says, there you go. There's the keys. You just do what you want. It's your apartment for two weeks. Great to have you. I'll show you around London if you want. And away he went. Well, I just straight out the door. I'll just be honest with you. Straight down to the off license. Get the carry out. Straight back into the living room. Cigarettes. The, 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 I'm just telling you the way it is. Exactly the way it was. And I sat down and that's a tea. And I lifted a bottle. And at that moment, I thought I had a nervous breakdown. I couldn't touch the stuff. I couldn't light a cigarette. I began to shake. I was saying, what's wrong with me? What that was, what it is, it's called conviction of sin. And I thank God for conviction. Dadsy made a, an appearance not so long after, and he says, listen, we have, a, we have a youth night in a council flat in Ealing, London. We want you to come to it. S okay. So I went to this council flat. There was uh, about 20 young uh, Jamaican, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled young people, and there was me, and that was... <laughs> That was it. So I went into this very small living room. They're all sitting in a circle, really tight. I head for the corner, of course, end of the corner, sat down. And anyone ever been in a Jamaican Pentecostal church? Put your hand up. About five of us. <laughs> but I'll tell you something else. You need to go to one. And so they start to sing. And the way they do it is, if you think we sing long, if you're sitting here tonight going, boy, these never give up. But I tell you, you want to go to the Jamaicans. Because... Um, what they do it is they get one song and then the first personal, James will start. You don't have to start. <laughs> He's panicking now. This is the best seat in the house, James. We could do a duet here. <laughs> That's why nobody sits at the front. But, but it would start with James and then James would stand up and they'd sing the song. Now here was the song. I'm not going to sing it, but they sang this song, I'm free. Praise the Lord, I'm free. No longer bound, no chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's just a blessing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, I'm free. And she'd sit down and then Jeff would get up and he'd sing the same chorus. So there was 20 of them. And they sang the same chorus. 
But I tell you something, there's something in repeating the song. Because it began to work in me. Because I realized, even if they asked me to sing it, I couldn't sing the song, I'm free. Why? Because I was bound. I can remember leaving that room. Dadsy spoke to me a little bit, dropped me off. He says, listen, there's a meeting. Would you come to the meeting Tuesday night? I was like, okay. Well, I tell you something. I knew God was dealing with me. I knew people were praying. I knew my dad, my mum were praying. My family were praying. Church were praying. And I went in to that meeting. But I went in. I was completely broken. Sin takes you further than you'll want to go. I wasn't long into the service. I'd got over into the corner. The place was just absolutely alive. They were singing. They were rejoicing. They were lifting their hands. They were shouting hallelujah. They were praising the Lord. They were dancing. They obviously were all black and I was the only white guy. I just could not hide anywhere. If I could have hid, I would have. And within about five minutes into that service, Pastor Dixon at the front of that building said, Son, you need to get right with God tonight. Within two minutes, I was at the front of that church on my knees. I can't remember how I got there. And I cried out to God, Oh, God, save me. You see, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was just simply a cry, God, would you save me? Now I found out a couple of things. I want you to hear me tonight. I found out a couple of things. You know, I was running from God. There's people here in this room tonight, you're running from God. Can I tell you, wherever you go on this earth, you'll never run from God. The other thing is, we often try to do it. We run from ourselves. I'm going to give you another amazing revelation. You can never run away from yourself. Wherever you go, you're there. But wherever you go, God's there. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to run from the presence of the Lord, but even in the depths of the great fish at the bottom of an ocean, God was there. See, God is everywhere. God hears your cry. I can remember phoning home. I can remember... The great tears of joy and delight. I just want to encourage, if you have a loved one that's not saved, don't give up praying. Keep believing the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. God hears and answers prayer. Within a few weeks after getting saved, I was, uh, felt it was right just to head away. And I got away for about 10 months over to Elam Bible College, not for, as you can tell, not for any theological reasons, but just I needed a space to try and get things sorted out. And it took a few years, to be honest with you, to work through a lot of things. But the Bible says these words, 
The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Verse 24 says these words, Though he fall, though he fall, and I can tell you many times I've fell, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. If you're wondering how you're going to keep your salvation, I've got news for you. You never will, but he'll keep you. One of the great lies of the enemy is to so many people is that if you got saved, how are you going to do it? I'm going to tell you something. You're not. He does it. That's the exciting thing. And he keeps you. He keeps you from falling. And when you do fall, we have a faithful God that lifts you up. The Bible says he brought me up out of a horrible pit. Out of the mary clay he set my feet upon the rock and he established my goings. When my foot slips, thy mercy, O Lord, it upheld me. God's mercy is amazing. And so that was the journey to my salvation. But I want to tell you something, and maybe I don't have all the time for it, but to live this Christian life, the walk with God, is the greatest life that you can live. It is the most exciting life. It is not easy. It is not a bed of roses. There are hard times. There are difficult times. And Stephen mentioned it not so long ago. It rains on the just and the unjust. But when you have Christ in your heart, you have a hope and you have a peace that this world can never, ever, ever give you. You know, within a couple of years after coming back uh, from Elam, Stevie got me a job in uh, Emo driving driving the tankers. I was there for a bit. But then God is so faithful. God really is so faithful. Um, in 1996, I met Nicky. And I, I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, I am so blessed to have met Nicky. Within a short space of time, within a year, we were married. We were engaged very quickly. We got married. I know she's going to kill me later. You all know that too. It's all okay. They'll be weeping a nation of teeth tonight. <laughs> but God was so faithful to us. We got married very quickly. We wanted to serve God with a passion. Maybe not a lot of wisdom, but we certainly had a passion to serve the Lord. The Lord has been so faithful. The Lord has brought us through so much. The Lord has blessed us with Jack, with Luke, Caleb, and where's Joseph? <laughs> and our Isaac. And uh, God has blessed us with four great sons. God has blessed us more than what we can ever imagine. It's beyond, it's actually beyond words. That's not materialistically or even though we've been blessed in every way, but God has truly blessed us. He has guided us. He has protected us. He's been there for us. He's led us. In 2005, 16 years ago, Caleb just turned 16, he was three weeks old. God led us to plant the church here in Balnehinch. You'd have told me 16 years later, all that has happened and all that God has done and all the blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon us and all the provision of the Lord and all the, the lives that have been touched and people that have been saved and grown in Christ. If you'd have told us that that was ahead of us, I just could never have imagined it. But God has been so faithful. He is an amazing God. It is an amazing thing to walk with God. God's blessing is better than anything. 
There's one thing that went over my head just throughout the week in preparing for this. And that is that strong desire and appetite for sin that I developed at a young age. I mean, I wouldn't even go into 99% of it, but that develop of appetite for sin, I wanted that world. I, I was deceived from my... And I tried to think, and I said to the Lord, and maybe you could pick it up very quickly. I said, Lord, what is it? My mom, my dad spoke to me, talked to me, counseled me. My family sat with me. Many people stood with me and said, you, you go into that world. I heard it. You know, it's going to not end well. It's going to be a disaster. Sin when it's finished. It's death. I, I heard. But what would have stopped me going into that world, that appetite. Do you want me to tell you what it is, people? Listen to me. If you have a desire for the world, I know this for a fact. An encounter with Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you something. There is nobody like Jesus. There is nothing in this world that compares to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I tell you, maybe there's a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old and you have that needling desire, I want to tell you something, have an encounter with Jesus. Because you'll never, you'll never want anything that this world can ever offer you when you truly taste and know that the Lord's good. An encounter with Christ. No, we can come to church. We can look the part. We can go to meetings. We can understand the scriptures, that's good. We can know the stories. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing like an encounter with Christ. That's what you need. But that's what he wants to do. I tell you, friend, thank God for God's grace. If you're in this room tonight, you're not saved, but you know God's been dealing with you. You're in this room or you're listening online, you know what conviction of sin is. You know God's probing your heart. You can feel it. You maybe can't understand all the language, but God is dealing with you. There's a desire, but there's a battle too. You keep running from God, but yet somehow or another, God still comes. He's drawing you. He's speaking to you. He wants you to repent of your sin. Give your life to him. God's speaking to someone tonight, I believe. I want to encourage you before you leave this building tonight, get right with God. Meet with the Lord. Have your sin dealt with. Know this Christ as your own and personal Savior. But friends, not only are we saved to go to heaven, we're saved to live a life for Jesus. And there's no greater life that you can live than a life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you're here in the midst. We know, Lord, that you're working in hearts. You're working in lives in this room. It's your still, small voice that's speaking into hearts and lives. 
And Lord, we pray by your Spirit that you would strive with men and women and young people in this room. Oh God, tonight I thank you that you are able to change a life completely by the power of your Spirit and by the grace of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there is one tonight that does not know you as their own personal Savior, that they will not leave. They will not leave until getting right with you. Lord, I pray for those that are backslidden in heart, gone cold, walked away. I thank you, Lord, tonight that you are you are a faithful God. And I pray that you would draw, you would draw by your great love those that are backslidden, cold in heart, back into the fold. Lord, that they would come, they would repent, and they would truly surrender that life afresh to Jesus. Oh, Lord, tonight we give you thanks for your great grace upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, personally, Lord, for your great salvation. Thank you, Lord, tonight for all that you've done. Lord, I just praise you and give you thanks tonight for who you are. You're the Savior of my soul. Oh God, tonight, Lord, to God be the glory. Great things he's done. In Jesus' name, amen.